Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, race fans, are you worried yet? Concerned? How about bothered? Maybe perturbed? How about panicked? The Rays have turned a 3-0 lead in the American League Championship Series into a one-game margin with their second straight loss to the Houston Astros. They did it in soul-shaking fashion, tying the game in the eighth, threatening in the ninth before losing it on a walk-off homer to Carlos Correa, served up piping hot by Nick Anderson. They better win game six tonight before they uh, will be trying to avoid being the wrong side of history there in game seven. And the Bucks seem a little bit healthier for their game Sunday against the Green Bay Packers. It's only the third meeting of the regular season between Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, but we'll tell you about another one that changed Rodgers' career. We've got all that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, folks, have you uh, been to the Breitling Boutique in International Plaza? You know it's only one of 15 in the United States, and now you've just got to check out these gorgeous Swiss timepieces. There's the Chronomat Bentley stainless steel with a green face. And then in April, they just launched the Super Ocean Heritage, the 57 limited edition. These are gorgeous watches. They have welcomed championship quarterbacks, Hall of Famers, and championship boxers as clients. Now they treat everyone the same when you come in. Just tell them that Rick Stroud sent you, and you will get a free $60 Breitling cap when you try on one of these beautiful watches. That's Breitling Boutique in International Plaza Mall. All right, Steve, before we get started, um, I'm, we're, I'm doing this podcast w- with a heavy heart, so sorry if the, uh, the enthusiasm is a little bit down, but uh, this has been a tough day. Um, shortly after our Zoom call with Tom Brady, um, we learned that uh, we had lost a good friend and a lot of us, uh, a, a colleague in the sports journalism community, Von McClure who uh, worked for the Chicago Tribune covering Lovey Smith's Bears and uh, lately for the last several years with ESPN um, covering the Atlanta Falcons, was found dead in his apartment on Thursday. He was 48 years young. And I've talked to Vaughn. It just so happens every day this week, in fact, since Sunday when Dan Quinn was fired, of course, talking and, and telling stories about Raheem Morris and his times in Tampa Bay. Um, Vaughn is it was a special person is a special person and i don't know what it is about the you know the good going early but um you know 48 seems seems really and, and there was no no pre-existing condition we knew about there there's nothing that uh, we're still trying to find out some details i don't know exactly the cause of death um you know the fact that he didn't show up at the falcons because they're going through the covid situation of course and and then the new coaching staff and Vaughn is a tireless worker, always has been. Um, it alerted some people to uh, check up on him, and, and in fact, um, they were uh, not in time. So um, I just want to say, if you go on Twitter, um, you'll see tributes to him really from everybody, including players, coaches, lots of people that worked with him and loved him. He uh, was somebody that you met in life that every time you saw him, you felt like a superstar. 
He just made you feel that way. And it could be in any circumstances at the combine, you know, you could be tired. You could be walking down a, a street someplace and bump into him. And Vaughn always had a huge smile and, and he would give you a huge hug. And before you were done talking, he would tell you, I love you, brother. I love you. And there's not many people that say that. And we none of us say it enough. And I wish um, I could say it to him again, but it's been a, it's been a really tough one. And, you know, I, uh, I feel for his family and, you know, those that, that loved him, but my heart goes out to him. Rest in peace, Vaughn. So on that note, um, the Tampa Bay Rays did not have such a good day. You know, I really thought that this was going to be the game that they would win, and here's why I thought it, Steve, is that this was a bullpen day for both teams. You know, this idea that you can play seven games in a row, right, uh, for this American League Championship Series uh, is not something they're used to doing. It's not something that any baseball team at this level, when they get to this stage, is used to doing. And so the Rays, because of the depth of their bullpen, because of the versatility that they had, I really thought this was their type of game. This was the one that they would thrive in um, because this is how they play. Um, you know, it's not unusual for them to use openers and, um, you know, uh, match up with hitters all the time. Um, maybe not so much uh, that's something that the Houston Astros have done all that much this year. In fact, the Astros, their first four or five pitchers were all rookies, every one of them on Thursday. And, you know, in in a big moment, uh, in an elimination game like this one, they went out and they were dealing. And typical of the Houston Astros, I guess there's a thing that when you play the Astros, you're down one nothing on a home run in the first. Is that how it goes? Four out of five games, they've had a first inning home run, which, you know, it's hard to chase games. It and, is. and when you do it from the first inning, you know, that that's that's difficult to do for teams. And, and it, it puts a lot of pressure on you and mm-hmm. – you know, you exert a lot more energy trying to catch back up. Essentially, I mean, when you when you do that to yourself in the first inning, night after night, and, mm-hmm. and you know, today it wasn't Altuve; it was George Springer that did on the first pitch, nonetheless. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you're chasing it from from you know the go. And you know, George Springer is not your typical leadoff guy in that he's really a power hitter. He's really a guy that hits a lot of home runs, and he'll go up there and ambush you, which is exactly what he did uh, in this game. He was hunting uh, a fastball. He got one for the first pitch. You might get away with that in a normal game when you have a leadoff hitter that's trying to look at balls and strikes and trying to work counts and, and trying to see what you have um, to start the game. Not with Springer. Springer was ready and he hit it nine miles. And you're right. When you chase a game, it reminds me, you know, these these games are generally close. It reminds me a little bit of hockey, you know, chasing that first goal. Um, when we were watching, you know, the Lightning win the Stanley Cup. Um, but chase it, they did. And, in fact, uh, they were down 3-1. to one at one point and they ran down the Houston Astros and they did it sort of in, you know, the way they've been doing it, I guess with Randy Arozarena uh, with the first home run guys, just unbelievable setting every raise record there is for the playoffs. Um, And then, you know, I, I mean to go into the eighth inning and to get a home run, like they did down three to two from G man Choi right then and there, I thought that's it they're going to win this ball game. Now, the problem is <laughs> they were not the home team. And so, you know, they tie it up in the eighth. They go into the ninth. They get a runner as, uh, you know, Zanino leads off with a single. They pinch run for him. Wild pitch. Kevin Kiermaier comes in to run, goes to second. And then they strand him. And that's the time that I, I thought, 
be not being the home team might work against you, and it did. Um, you know, Carlos Correa, uh, Carlos Correa, who has been hot with the bat, who has been a guy that's hit a lot of home runs. Um, you know, he he, you know, here's what I didn't get. So Nick Anderson's on the mound, and he throws him a curveball, and it's not a good curveball. It's one of those kind of cement mixer spinners up there. But Correa is is looking so dead red that he's way out in front and swings and misses it by a good bit. Otherwise, it was a great pitch to just load up on and hit. So that was the key right there, that this guy's hunting something, right? He's hunting fastballs. And, I mean, Nick Anderson throws 98 miles an hour at times. So what does Nick Anderson do with Michael Perez behind the plate? Throws a fastball. <laughs> Let me tell you. And not a very good one at that. Well, center cut, uh, belt high. He did not miss it. He did not miss that fastball. It was launched and um, had a nice little bat flip to boot. And so, yeah, the walk-off home run. Now, you know, they always say, like, your momentum in these series is you're as good as tomorrow's starter. Well, guess what? I think the Houston Astros' next two games, I think they have the edge on the mound. I just do. I think they pitch better. Well, that depends. I mean, Blake Snell is going to go tonight, and it's an earlier start, 6 o'clock start, a little later than mm-hmm. today's game or Thursday's game, but 6 o'clock start. Blake Snell's the more talented pitcher. I give you that. But I don't know that he's pitched as well as the as the way I mean, out the first two start, I know they lost games 1 and 2. I know Houston did. They got out pitched. Oh, absolutely. And granted that you know there was a three-run homer in one of those games after uh, Jose Altuve error and all three runs were really unearned. But at the end of the day, those guys pitched better. I haven't seen with the exception of maybe a couple games down the stretch, Blake Snell struggles to get out get to the 5th inning much less out of it because He's not throwing strikes. He's getting behind hitters, and in a pressure situation, a game like this where you're you're now you know up three to two, and lost all momentum or nearly all the momentum that you can have. Blake Snell needs to go out there and throw about six shutout innings. I mean, that's what he needs to do. Because one thing we know about the Rays, they're not going to score a lot of runs. I mean, this was a game that they needed four to win, and they couldn't get there first, and so. You know, I don't feel good about their lineup, again, outside of a Rosarina who, you know, is now sort of hit and miss. I mean, he's striking out some now. They're throwing him a steady diet of curveballs. Um, you know, he goes up there hunting fastballs, too, and they know it. Well, when you don't and, fear the rest of the lineup around him because nobody else pitch is hitting, around him. you yeah. don't have to give him good pitches. Perfect example. Great, great analogy. Yeah, that's perfect. That's what they're doing. They're making him chase. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where you need... Brendan Lau, yes. G Man Choi, Yandi Diaz. You know, Yandi's walking a lot, but you need guys that hit. are putting fear into the pitchers. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that's mm-hmm. how you get Randy more pitches. And, and you know, that's how you get toasty, is you got to have a couple guys mm-hmm. because then the pit, now, they're, now they're trying to pitch around multiple guys, not one. And that becomes right. a lot harder. And, you know, you thought for the world that uh, the Rays tied it up when um, Brandon Lau hit a home run mm-hmm. off a lefty, no less. And he waited back on the ball, and he hit it. He hit it a long way, um, and so you kind of thought, okay, that's that's you know they batted him lead off, kind of a Joe Madden thing, right? The guy's struggling, put him up there, hope he looks at some pitches, whatever. Boom, here's the home run, and now everybody sort of exhales in that dugout for Brandon Lau, but I'm telling you, he came up with men on base after that in that game at least twice, and was chasing pitches in the dirt. I'm not sure they threw him a strike. 
I'm not sure he saw another pitch that would have been called a strike if he let it go, but he absolutely um, looked horrible the rest of the game. And so home run be damned, that would be the outlier, right? Um, but nothing nothing besides that from you know their most valuable player who continues to struggle. There's so I mean you you got to you know out again outside of Rosario. I will say this, I think I think Austin Meadows is starting to see the ball better. He's hit some hard hard, you know, line drives. He's gotten a few hits to fall in here or there. Um some guys seem to maybe be coming out of it a little bit. Uh, I had hope, you know, for Willie Adamas, but then he kind of went back into his shell. He he was starting to walk and see some pitches and hit the ball hard at times. Zanino out of the nine spot has had two hits, and you know that's that's a career it would seem or a postseason for most of these guys. But they're they're just, I mean, are they going to have to shut somebody out? Is that what it's going to take, Steve? Are we going to have to see, you know, Blake Snell and somebody else go in there and throw a shutout against Houston? Because I don't think you're going to shut them out. Well, it'd be nice if Blake Snell could get five shutout innings. That would be, or you know, if he can go six or seven, better. But you know, I take five shutout right now is. You know, yeah, give absolutely. your chance a team. Give your team a chance to to build a lead up, and, and you know, don't let them answer back and keep them scoreless, and don't let them. You know, they're going to bat first tonight, Houston, because the Rays yes. are now the the home team for the final two games. That's right. So don't give them a home run in the first inning. And yes, they got good hitters. I mean, Altuve and Springer, and I mean, you know, their lineup is very top stacked, and and it's a good one. All, and guys, you know what? Correa and Altuve are you know two of the 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 biggest home run hitters in postseason history as far as numbers right. of home runs. Um, right. You know, they keep climbing up the charts. I mean, they're really good. But, you you know, Blake Snell needs to give you less runs scored, less base runners. He needs to be more efficient tonight. I mean, you know, you've lost two in a row now. You've got to stop that. You don't want to go to a game seven because you don't know what's going to happen in a game seven. You need to end this tonight if you're the race. And, and only once, I believe, in MLB history as a team – been down 3-0 and forced to Game 7. And that was the Red Sox in 4 who ended up winning the Game 7 and advancing to the World Series against the Yankees. That's right. They're the only team to have forced a Game 7 once you're down 3-0. Don't let, don't let Houston be the second. Don't make history. I mean, and don't make it in the wrong way. I mean, folks, you think that, uh, you know, it was a long off season when the Lightning lost, won the President's Cup and then a trophy and then lost four in a row to Columbus? <laughs> I got news for you. This is a different trick. <laughs> this is this is so much worse. Um, and not to be, you know, the uh, Dr. Doom here, I guess we need Tom Jones. We should probably call him tonight. Um, I think he's, he's watching some town halls. <laughs> yeah, at the same time. <laughs> he's watching two town halls and, uh, and the Rays game all at once. And so, uh, yeah, but, you know, I I think that, you know, Kevin Cash can't really do a lot here. He's managed as well as he can. Um, the pitching has been still very good. I mean, you know, four runs is not exactly an onslaught. Um, and yet, you know, Nick Anderson has not been lights out the way you need him to be, especially in those late innings. Uh, maybe they can, you know, go back and, and get, you know, get something out of Diego Castillo, who seems to be the, you know, the hot guy right now. Um, but they used, you know, a good pit of their A bullpen. And, and the Astros, what they have going for them is, a bunch of guys that are going to rake. I mean, there's not been a, a game where they haven't hit the ball hard. I mean, the first three games that the Rays won, there were some screaming line drives, and I know they talk about positioning guys, and that's all very good, and that's all true. Um, but the law of averages say that if you hit the ball hard that many times, they're going to start to fall in. 
you're not always going to hit balls right at right at people, no matter where they position them. And so, you know, certainly they don't put them on the other side of the fence. Okay, they don't put them, you know, uh, up up in the condos across the street. And that's where some of these guys have been hitting. Some have hit some titanic home runs off this pitching staff. Um, and so they're going to have to be, you know, a little more careful with certain hitters. Um, damn near all of them, but certainly Correa and um, you know some of those guys. And so, you know, I, I I just feel this is sort of slipping away. Like this is ha- tonight. I would think would have to be their night. And look, <clears throat> you know, the Astros would have to win four in a row under this circumstances, under this pressure, and and, and history being against them. Even if they won tonight, they still got to win another game, and they haven't climbed the mountain just yet, right? So, um, but I would think that the Rays. You know, or should be a little worried, and and I just don't know how well does Blake Snell sleep on this, right? How how does he react? You know, do, is he excited? Does he take the ball and say, "Good, it's my game. I'm going to go out there, and if they don't score, we win." You know, is he able to be efficient? Is he able to get deep into the game, um, or is he going to go out there, give up an early run or two, uh, get behind hitters, work out of jams the whole time, create this, you know? unbelievable pressure uh, to, on his offense to have to score uh, and answer every score that he gives up. I, I just don't feel good about Blake Snell. I, I hope he proves me wrong. Um, but to me, he hasn't been their big game pitcher. And then they would follow up, I assume, with Charlie Morton in game seven, which you feel the experience there would certainly be on your side a little bit. But Charlie Morton is also another guy uh, when he has pitched of late that has thrown an awful lot of pitches. So the bottom line is you've got to score – more than two or three runs if you expect to win most games. And the Rays have, have struggled to get to get to four of late. I mean, the, the one game they won, they scored all five runs in one inning. Um, and so, you know, I um, I know they're going to play good defense. I, I know for the most part that the bullpen's going to be okay. But you're right. They can't continue to chase the Houston Astros or they're going to chase them all the way to the World Series. You know, and, and the Rays did some good things today too. I mean, they got the pickoff on Altuve. Mm-hmm. Rosarina threw him out at second when he tried to extend a double. I mean, Altuve's yeah, had an up and down series. Yeah, he has. You know, I mean, Did you see that throw he made to first. By the way, he still got the yips. Mm-hmm. Yes, he that does. Was a nice dig out by Guriel, but he he literally bound. I mean, you could see the elbow tighten on that throw. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't know where it's going when he's throwing, it, and it's it's in his head for sure. But it hasn't yeah. affected him offensively. No, you know, he's still hitting home runs and had, what three first inning home runs this series, and you know, so. You know, the Rays are still doing things well, but you need Blake Snell to be your ace. Yes, yes. I mean, he's he's the best pitcher on this staff when it comes to stuff. He's got four pitches. <laughs> well, he does have four. Can we cut it down to like two or three that actually are good? Well, just figure out which two or three are going to work tonight and use well, those. Just I'm stick saying. with those. And, and How about this? How about everything works off the, the number one finger, the fastball? How about you just go out there and challenge guys with a little bit of command, maybe not throw it down the middle of the plate, but with 96-97, right, with a little bit of, a little bit of sauce on it, um, attack hitters and get ahead of them, and then use the slider and the changeup and the curveball off of that. Because I think too often he wants to throw all four of them to every hitter, and I don't know that that's necessarily a great idea because he just doesn't have command of all four. Well, aren't you supposed you know? to start with a couple and then you add in some the second yes. time through the lineup? When you've got right. four pitches, you don't need to display them all in the first inning. No. Your first time through, maybe you throw off fastball. Second time through, maybe you, you, you mix in a curve or a slider or a changeup. I mean, it's just 
it's maddening to watch him pitch because, yeah, they're all plus pitches. But you know what? He can't command them. So here's what happens. As a hitter, I go up there and I look for my pitch. I don't care that he throws four because I'm spitting on three of them. If he can't prove to me that he can't get a curveball or a slider over for a strike, until he does, hell, until he throws two strikes to me and I stand up there and have to protect, I'm going to sit there and continue to look for a a, a well-placed fastball that I'm going to wear out. That's just the approach you can take against him right now. You know, David Price was like this for a while. We've seen Chris Archer do it in the past. David Price probably finally uh, trusted his stuff. He finally figured out, you know what, even if I throw this ball down the middle, more often than not, they're not going to hit it very hard or they're not going to hit it at all. And so, you know, he started with the approach, I'm going to attack hitters. And, you know, pretty soon throwing it down the middle became throwing it on the corners and on the, you know, and then he had everything worked off the fastball and he was dominant for, you know, a couple of years. And I just think that Snell has the ability to do the same stuff if he would trust what he throws. The other thing about Snell, we talked about the first inning home runs. There's no pitcher on this staff as a starter who has given up more home runs this year than Blake Snell. Blake Snell has a problem with a long ball. He needs to keep the baseballs in the park somehow. So here we go. Get yourself ready for tonight's Game 6 at 6 p.m. As a matter of fact, Blake Snell against Framber Valdez, who uh, pitched a gem in Game 1, got the loss, but uh, probably deserved a better fate after the Jose Altuve error. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Okay, so the Bucks now are... Uh down to the last few hours preparing for their game on Sunday against the Green Bay Packers. They look like they're going to be a little bit of a healthier football team, Steve. I mean, they're getting some guys back, particularly on offense. You know, Mike Evans hopes to do a little more today as far as practicing. I mean, he's, you know, he went from the hamstring to the ankle, and with a short week, um, he didn't really, it was pretty sore. He admitted to us, um, you know, on Thursday that when he went out there uh, a week ago, he was, you know, it didn't feel so good, especially after only four days off um, from the injury that he sustained. Um, you know that that Sunday against the Chargers. So um, he hopes to be back. Chris Godwin, I think, will be back. Looks like they'll have some running backs back, uh, perhaps Leonard Fournette, and you know we'll see um, if Shady McCoy makes it. A little better news on the defensive front. Carlton Davis did some things. Uh, we'll see if he can follow that up on Friday, but he's got an abdominal injury, which sounds like a core thing, which is not good. Um, you know, and of course they don't have Vita Vea, and that's that's the biggest thing that they have to replace right there is Rakim Nunez Rosary has to step in. Really good football team, best football team they played, and arguably right now, after a four and start, the best team in the NFC. It's the Green Bay Packers. Uh, they can do everything, okay? Uh, they have this year one of the best offensive lines that they've they've had in years. David Bakhtiari is is just a tremendous tackle. And, you know, they are running the ball and running it well and running it often with Aaron Jones. They got running backs who can play receiver, not the way Ronald Jones or those guys go out in the flat and try to play receiver, but I'm talking 
line up in the slot, run verticals, and catch balls over your shoulders receiver types. I mean, these guys are really talented. And, oh, by the way, they've managed to get to to 4-0 without Devontae Adams. Yeah, he's playing. He's going to play at 4 o'clock or 425 on Sunday against the Carlton Davis that's been a little nicked up in practice all week, and I don't know how much he's done or how well he's going to feel. Um, there's some tough matchups in this game. And the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, while the Bucks have been beating themselves and the, and the losses that they've had are falling behind 17 nothing the Chargers, there's a theme, right, where the penalties have been an issue. Um, you know, they had, you know, 106 yards the other night on Thursday night in Chicago. Uh, you know, they, they, they just simply have had these self-inflicted mistakes that are getting them behind the down and distance. And no quarterback, not even Tom Brady, can function when you're having to call second and 20 or third and 15. I mean, that's just those aren't just winning downs that you're going to lose if you put yourself in those positions. And the reason they have been is because of the penalties. And why do you have penalties? Well, a lot of times your guys are beat. Donovan Smith is beat and ends up holding somebody. Um, you know, Or it's a lack of concentration when you have false starts or you're off sides and things like that. So... They'll have to play their best football game, and, and i got to be honest, um, I'm anxious to see because, you know, this team is 3-2. and two. <laughs> um, It seems like five minutes ago they were 3-1 and one and had won three in a row, and, you know, you could dismiss the loss at New Orleans as, well, that would have been the first game they were on the field together and all of that. 3-3 three and three at this point sounds a lot like it did when Dirk Cutter was the coach. Um, it sounds a lot like it did, you know, every year, and – it doesn't turn into anything. So they're in a dangerous position here where they need to bounce back from what was a poor effort in Chicago. And I know that, that look, everybody's hurt. No one gives a damn. That's the bottom line. But it does matter as far as execution goes. And, and I think you've got to practice and not just show up and, and try out you know, the ankle or the hamstring or whatever is bothering you on the day of the game and then say, I can go. Because you might be able to go, but where are you going? You know? Quarterback has no timing with you. That's all disruptive. He's trying to throw to guys like Tyler Johnson. Um, you know, it, it's it's been tough. And what they lack the most, in my opinion, what this offense lacks right now, is a running back that can really catch the ball. And not just catch the ball, but you can you can split them out and create mismatches for him. Because Tom Brady is very comfortable throwing the ball, checking it down to his running backs, and moving the chains, and then taking his shots. He was 0 for 6 in deep passes against Chicago. Now, some of that might have to do with Chicago and sort of, you know, the, the, the cover two or whatever shell they were playing to try to take that away and force him to throw the ball short. Um, but some of it might just be that they weren't very good at it, you know. And I know he's th- taking a lot of shots this year because it's Bruce Arians' offense. But, you know, you got Tyler Johnson out there running, not Chris Godwin, who has a chance to play in this game. And so the injuries have caught them. The penalties have really become the problem. I mean, they're they're so undisciplined. They put themselves behind down and distance. But I think I think the team they're playing, Steve, I think the Packers are the best team in the NFC. And somewhere down the road, even if you win the NFC South, which has to be their focus right now, this game could wind up being for something bigger than just, you know, your fourth win. Yeah, I would say it's either the Packers or the Seahawks. They've distinguished mm-hmm. themselves as the best two teams in the NFC. Exactly. Uh, and, and Russell Wilson's having a phenomenal year, as is Aaron Rodgers. So yes. either one of those. But, yeah, I mean, this is a test. And, and you know, if you go down to 3-3, three and three, 
you still got a heavy gauntlet coming up. I mean, mm-hmm. the Raiders are good coming up. The Chiefs are good coming up. Um, yep. You know, and all these in prime time as well. So, or, you know, at yeah. late afternoon as this game will be. So, I mean, this – you hate to say that this is a critical game or a must win, and it's not, but it, it sure feels is. like they got to play really well. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's at home, you know, where they're undefeated right now. I mean, they've you know, they're one and two on the road. I mean, you can chalk up the Chicago to a lot of things. I mean, Chicago, one's got a good defense. Two, you were playing after three days with a lot of injuries on the road. You know, mm-hmm. it, that's not an easy – Thursday night – or not easy on the road. And it wasn't no. like it was just a short, you know, 45-minute flight somewhere. Chicago's a couple hours. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like I said, this isn't a must-win game. But the Saints are 3-2. and two, The Panthers are 3-2 and two in your mm-hmm. division. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to 3-3, three and three, you might be in third place by the end of this weekend. You might be. The only team you're ahead of and, and might be for a little while is the Atlanta Falcons, who are 0-5, and, and they've made a coaching change. And, and, and they're COVID. playing at 1-4 and four Minnesota. They may get a win this week and start to, to turn things around. They might, yeah. You you haven't played them at all, so they, right. you've got two meetings with them. So, yeah, I'm I'm just trying to think to myself, like, how different does this feel, right? When we started the season, it was Tom Brady out there, and you saw the pick six against New Orleans. You go, well, you know, you chalk it up, and you go, look, you know, new offense, first game, Saints have been together, yada yada yada. Fact is, they didn't play well on defense as far as or offense as far as the Saints go, but. Because of the turnovers and whatever, okay, you lose. You you kind of you you can rationalize that one away. I mean, that would have been like the first preseason game. Then you go to the second game, and you know it, it's it's a little bit better. Um, you know, but you play a Carolina team that's not that great. But you you know you manage to get a win. You get some turnovers. The defense kind of rolls. You have some lapses where you don't do very much on offense. You go to the third game, and boom, you're down 17 points right before the half. I mean, 17. I mean, that's that's an incredible uh, hole to dig yourself. And yet they get the fumble, they score right before halftime, and then here comes Brady, five touchdown passes, five different receivers. Him and Byron Leftwich figure something out, and they just attack the hell out of the Chargers um, who give up a 17-point lead and then did it again on Monday night, as a matter of fact. So their defense can't hold water. Uh, okay, well, you know, now now you feel pretty good about yourself, and then boom. Uh, a Chicago team that I think is way, playing way above its skis, um, I don't think they're that great, but they're they're managing to win every week by the slimmest of margins, and, you know, it's scoreboard. And so, you know, to me, if you lose this game, it's, it's a, it, again, I recognize the, the level of competition. It's a big step up. But if you lose it and you're 3-3, three and three, I don't. I just don't. It doesn't feel to me any different that you have Tom Brady at quarterback than it would Jameis Winston, and that's a hard thing to say. <laughs> that's a really hard thing to say because people are calling for Jameis Winston to take Drew Brees' job right now in New Orleans, um, and you know uh, that would just add more salt to the wound. But I'm just here to tell you, it's like, eh, you know, this this is all supposed to be about winning, and Byron Leftwich is under fire here. Byron Leftwich has to figure something out. He did not help his team the other day when they had the lead, you know, um, with under three minutes to go, uh, you know, in Chicago. And he had some horrible play calls and some mismatches. I mean, he goes, you know, to a three tight end, you know, four-minute offense. You're, you're trying to ground and pound, and get they got two timeouts and a two-minute warning. So you absolutely want to get those except that he's got terrible matchups across the board. He's got Cameron Braid at tight end. He's got Tanner Hudson at tight end. 
and then one tight end in Rob Gronkowski who can block. The other two, not so much. And so what does Chuck Pagano do? He counters with six, six defensive linemen. So we already are losing that matchup, right? We got 300-pound defensive linemen against our tight ends, and we have our weakest blocking tight ends if you're the Bucks. Uh, and so, you know, you're thinking, okay, this will work. No, it won't. Tanner Hudson gets overwhelmed. Ronald Jones gets dropped for a two-yard loss. Now you have to throw on second down. Guess what? You only use one time, one of their timeouts. That's all you used. The next down, the next two downs, you, you stay mass protection with an eight-man front, and you run, you know, two verticals on the outside with your wide receivers, the only two guys you're going out. They're both covered, and so you check it down and make a bad throw. Uh, maybe a worse route, but nonetheless, now it's third and ten. You didn't use any timeouts. You didn't get to the two-minute warning. I mean, you accomplished none of that, right? Uh, and then on third down, he gets some pressure finally. Um, doesn't really have anybody, and uh, you know tries to shoehorn one in there, and it's and it's incomplete. So, I mean, Byron Leftwich and, and the Bucks can't be out coached in this game. And and if you think about Matt Lafleur, I mean, since he's come. I mean, the Green Bay Packers are 17-3. and three. 17 out of 20 they've won. And Aaron Rodgers, he's never played better, in my opinion. I mean, he is in control. He has bought into this offense. He's efficient. And he seems happy, which is not easy to do if you've been around Aaron Rodgers because he's never happy. <laughs> he's just, you know, he's the guy that they would ask, you know, to leave so they could start happy hour, right? The old Yogi Berra joke. Um, but... You know, so he's in a much better place. He seems comfortable with the offense. There's all the talk about, oh, they didn't get any weapons, and they drafted a quarterback. A quarterback, Jordan Love, in the first round, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He has a different mindset now, and he's playing really confident, and it's cool to watch, but, um, man. And then, you know, basically, people should appreciate what this is. This is Tom Brady against Aaron Rodgers, and for as long as those two guys have been in football, um, I recognize one's only like 36 years old, but you know they've only met um, two other times in the regular season. This is only the third regular season uh, meeting that they've ever had, and so of course you know Tom playing in the AFC, and um, you know obviously Green Bay's in the NFC, so they wouldn't have met. But it's it's a marquee matchup, and and those guys pay attention to that, you know, um, not not because they're not going against each other. They both made it clear. Look, I'm not playing Tom Brady, or I'm not playing Aaron Rodgers. You're playing their defense, but you are aware of it and need to be because, as a quarterback, you want to execute at a high level because you want to keep that quarterback off the field. You know how explosive he can be. You know how good their offense is. So you have to play a major role to help your defense with field position by making first downs by not turning the ball over. I mean, these are all really important things. And, and I mean, you would definitely give, um, you know, I mean, you would definitely give Green Bay the edge as far as the offense goes. Um, and they got Devontae Adams back. Again, we don't know what Carlton Davis' situation. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a pretty good football team over there. Um, and the, the mutual admiration of these two guys is something. So I talked about the two meetings they had in the regular season. Here's the meeting that I teased in the open that people don't remember about necessarily. But about about seven years ago, I think it was 2013, and Brady Brady is prone to do this at times. He asked Rodgers if he would come out um, you know, to what he then had a home in suburban Los Angeles, come out there and hang out for a little while. And so Rodgers did. Now this has been, like I said, seven, eight years ago. And so they hung out and they watched film and uh, uh, you know they wound up playing nine holes of golf at Riviera, which... 
Brady says he made a putt and Rogers made a putt at the end and took, took some money from me. Now I want a rematch. Um, but you know, Rogers is a guy that Brady admired. I mean, you know, growing up being from California, he, he heard a lot about the kid at Cal and he was already in the NFL, you know, for six or seven years before Rogers got there. But, um, the thing that Rogers got out of all of that, right. Was this, I got to take care, better care of myself. I mean, you go see Tom Brady and you're eating meals that his chef prepares and it's not McDonald's hamburgers, folks. It's, you know, it's the TB12 diet and all of that. Now, Rogers isn't on that particular diet necessarily, but he has learned how to eat healthy, um, how to prolong his career. And he said that he wants to play into his 40s, okay, which he's still got four more years before he reaches that level, I think. But nonetheless, you can see how, how Rogers is in great shape and how well he's playing. And, you know, to be sitting here with uh, – I don't know, he's got like 13 touchdowns, no interceptions, only been sacked three times. Um, he's just having a hell of a year, an MVP year. I, I agree with you. Him and Russell Wilson, to me, are my MVP candidates so far. But this is going to be a tough game, and I, you know, it started out, the, the, the Bucks were favored for a while, and then the line moved, and now I think Green Bay's given a point or a point and a half if you're into that sort of thing. So I don't know. I think – I. They need to win. They need to win this game. If they win this game and you're four and two, then everybody's going to say, "Okay, you took down one of the best teams in the NFC. You had kind of laid an egg in Chicago. It's no big deal. You're right back in the division lead." But the other picture is not good. Yeah, just for entertainment purposes, Green Bay is laying a point. So they are laying a point. Yeah, yeah. and for entertainment purposes, for the entertainment point purposes only, I would say that you take Green Bay and give that point. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything about gambling. I don't even know what I just said, but it sounds good. Um, Green Bay straight up. How's that? Uh, you know, you, but you got to You know what? It, to be the best, you got to beat the best. And and this is the thing. Like, you want to go to a Super Bowl in Tampa? Okay, you're going to have to beat the Green Bay Packers. Mm-hmm. Not just this week, but somewhere down the road, they're going to be waiting for somebody. Yep. Okay, probably in Lambeau. Well, if you win this game, maybe they, they won't be, be here. playing in Lambeau. I mean, you know, that's right. They would drop the Packers to four and one. You'd be at four and two. So uh, and that's right. And you got the home field over them, mm-hmm. and uh, because of head to head, that's the first tiebreaker. Yeah, yeah I'll be looking to see how well the offensive line plays because I think I think their play yeah. has been subpar so far this season. Um, it, it has, particularly I mean, the penalties and, and some of the, you know, Jensen, you know, trying to protect ugh. teammates but getting the personal foul calls, and you mm-hmm. know, I know that's the way he kind of plays and a little bit on the edge, but you know, you got to pick your spots when to do that. I mean, there are times to do that, but when you've already got holding penalties putting you back, you don't need to go down to third and 35 or whatever it was. Um, right. You know, those kind of penalties are, you know, or second or it may have been first and 30, 30 or whatever it was. But, um, you know, I, I think that as a unit they've got to play better. And, and you know, that's one of the things with, with the Bruce Arians offense of throwing it down the field is the offensive line has to provide time to do that. You know, it's not this short game where you get the ball out in two seconds and – if somebody gets by your tackle, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, if you're trying to go deep a lot, you're you've got to block. No, you absolutely do, and and you've got to, you know, you you've also got to make yourself available. You got to make a running back available to catch the football out of the backfield because I think that's what's missing from this offense. To be honest with you, I really do. And Lashawn McCoy's injury was a bad one because, you know, him and Fournette both went out. They were down to one running back and Keyshawn Vaughn, who's not used to playing to say the least, and. You know, Rojo's just not good at 
at being a receiver out of that backfield. And um, he's worked on it. it. It doesn't come natural to him. Brady needs to get the football out of his hands, and he can he can make yards and make first downs if he's got somebody he trusts coming out of that backfield. And and that's that's the part that that they just don't have right now. And that's why they need that that depth in that running back room to kind of develop and stay healthy and stay on the field. You can't cry about injuries; it happens all over the league. Um, but I think it's sort of what's making this, as one coach described it to me, it's a jigsaw puzzle. He said, "Look, every week's a jigsaw puzzle for us because." Not only do you not know, like literally didn't know if Mike Evans was going to play bef- until he ran before the game. I mean, that's happened twice now, okay? And then, you know, once you figure out who might be able to play, which guys can actually stay on the field? How how many plays can you count on them for? You know, they haven't practiced, so, you know, you're going to go out there and run them, and then you're going to realize, you know, we're going to have to spell this guy, we're going to spell that guy. You lose continuity, and as great as Tyler Johnson and some of these young kids have come in and try to play – um, you know, they're not the frontline guys for a reason. And it, it's just, it's been, it's been frustrating because again, I go back to the Tony Dungy theory that you're better if you practice and play than if you're hurt in a better player, but don't practice. I think guys that don't practice and, and I talked to Mike Evans, he said, look, I love to practice. My whole thing is about practicing and, and I'm not going to be able to do that until I test it out on Friday, you know? So he, at best he would have a little bit of, of workout or a little bit of timing things today, uh, and then a walkthrough on Saturday, and then you're playing on Sunday. So he's kind of missed the whole week already, in a sense. So it's a beat-up football team, but they, they need to find a way to win. And, um, you know, this will be this will be Tom Brady kind of exerting his will, trying to get these guys reined in and disciplined, all the things that New England was known for and that Belichick would enforce. Well, now Tom Brady has to do that. Uh, I know that Bruce Arian says he preaches not not making penalties, but you know what? You've had the most penalized team two years in a row, so some somehow that signal is not getting there. And it's like I said, it's one of two things: either they're tuning you out, or they're just not very good players. Um, and in some instances, it might be a little bit of both. But that's that's sort of what's going on. So, Bucks against the Green Bay Packers, or as my friend Chris Berman, eh, yeah, the Bay of Pigs. Down at the new sombrero in Tampa, as we remember uh, the old NFC Norris days. So that'll be a lot of fun, though. I'm looking forward to it. And some fans. We're going to have, what, uh, some 16,000 at the old ball yard? I'll be interested to see how that plays there. I mean, it was what? We had limited fans last home game, but this was, what, about twice as many this year, this week? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was probably only about 6,000 or under 6,000. So it was kind of like friends and family, like that. The cold open, you would do at a restaurant before yeah. you really open. But I, I don't think the Stanley do. Cup's going to be in the house, though, like last time. No? Game. I don't know. I don't know. It could be, I guess. They probably got a chair for Stanley, I would think. I saw Alex Kalorn uh, in the chef at Burns uh, eating some lobster bisque out of the cup on Twitter this today. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Now, does that dude with the blonde hair, does he does he follow that thing around yes. still? Is oh, that yes. his whole job? Oh, yeah, Philip Pritchard. Yeah. So he's Keep, spending the, of the year cu- His Tampa, Twitter handle is Keeper of the Cup. Keeper of the cup. Yeah, he puts so pictures now, up all over the place. Eat, when they eat the lobster bisque out of the cup, does does he have like some kind of cleaning thing where he's got to go in there and 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 kind of like make that hole again? I would assume, uh, but I would assume he gets a sample some too. I would think. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, maybe not. I mean, do you really want to sample stuff out of the cup after everybody has been sampling? Yeah, well, that's stuff true. Out of the I, cup? Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know. I mean, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I saw, uh, I think it was um, 
Jimmy Fallon, who's a pretty funny guy, he was on there and he does his thank you notes. Mm-hmm. And he was doing, thank you, Stanley Cup, for being the one trophy during the COVID era that everybody wants to pass around, eat, and drink from, and kiss. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true, though. It's like, this is the worst trophy you could ever have now, right? In the pandemic. No one's doing that what? with... with in you the know. bubble, it was fine. I mean, you know, as they're on the ice, I sure. mean, they've been, you know, for two months there, everybody's been tested and not one positive test. But now you come back to, you know, Tampa or whatever town wins it, you know, it happened to be Tampa this year. But, right. Uh, yeah, that's probably not the best idea. Maybe not so much yeah, on, during the parade, let's say. <laughs> Ugh. Hey, folks, before we get out of here, remember, go see our friends at the Breitling Boutique in International Plaza. They're just one of 15. In the United States, you got to check out these gorgeous Swiss timepieces. I'm telling you, here's the names you remember. The Corona Matte Bentley, that's that stainless steel one with the green face. And then also the Super Ocean Heritage. It's this uh, 1957 limited edition, just gorgeous. And if you go in there and tell them that Steve and Rick sent you, here's what you're going to get. You will get a $60 Breitling cap. Just for ty- trying on one of those watches. Now, you know, the trap is that you're going to see the watch. You're going to love it. And you're going to take it home with you. But you also get a free cap. So make sure you go in there and tell them about uh, where you heard Steve and Rick talking about Breitling. And uh, they'll hook you up. Thanks for listening. Enjoy Game 6. For Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.